everyone, I'm Debbie from Property Apprentice. Join me today for the Week in Review, where I talk about current events for the everyday investor and home buyer. Topics for this week, from good returns on the 15th of August, tax exemption discriminates against ordinary landlords. Second topic, from one roof on the 16th of August, migrants flock to open homes as tens of thousands of people are given residency. Third topic, New Zealand Herald, 16th of August, housing market, most homeowners profit on sales despite the downturn. Fourth topic, interest.co.nz on the 16th of August, Human Rights Commission calls for new rent freeze and an increase in the accommodation supplement to help those hit hardest by cost of living shocks to rent and food. Last but not least, from good returns on the 15th of August, falling home loan rates are likely to irk the Reserve Bank of New Zealand. So we'll start off with the tax exemption discriminating against ordinary landlords from good returns on the 15th of August. Property Investors Federation says giving build-to-rent developers an exemption from the government's tax rules on removing interest costs as a tax deduction discriminates against mum and dad investors. Housing Minister Megan Woods announced last week that upcoming tax legislation will give the exemption to new and existing build-to-rent developments in perpetuity. This exemption will apply retrospectively from 1st of October 2021. Owners of build-to-rent properties can claim interest costs as long as they're held and operated as a build-to-rent development. The proposed requirements for the new asset class include, and here's the kicker, the developments must have at least 20 dwellings in one or more buildings that comprise a single development on either a single parcel of land or multiple contiguous parcels. It also requires that tenants must be offered a fixed-term tenancy of at least 10 years with the ability to give 50 days' notice of termination, but they may agree to or request other tenancy offers. The dwellings in any common land or facilities for those dwellings must have a single owner. Dwellings can be held in one or more titles. The buildings that a build-to-rent dwelling is in can include other dwellings or commercial premises that do not form part of the build-to-rent development, and the dwellings are used or available for rent under the Residential Tenancies Act. Property Investors Federation President Andrew King believes that the government has caved into the pressure of big business lobbying and changed the rules for the large developers, which has in fact turned their backs against landlords. Build-to-rent developers usually offer brand-new, high-end accommodation that attract high-income-earning tenants. This means that these high-income tenants will benefit from the tax incentives rather than the vast majority of tenants. King argues that the vast majority of tenants often can't afford build-to-rent properties and would rather live in well-maintained, warm, dry but good-value rentals. Build-to-rent is a different residential housing model compared to what's commonly seen in the current private rental market, where small-scale investors own individual or small numbers of dwellings. Wood said that build-to-rent has the potential to increase the supply of quality rental housing and scale. It also has the ability to support housing construction at times when securing finance for developments and buyers is more challenging. 
She adds that this sector can address issues in providing general and market affordable supply by attracting long-term investment from iwi and superannuation funds. The tax exemption will encourage developments of this type to multiply and contribute to rental supply. However, King points out that the majority of rentals are provided by ordinary Kiwis who own one or two rentals. They provide excellent service to their tenants and new laws mean that they must provide warm, dry rental homes. Private landlords operate with low overheads and low, often negative margins that provide true value for tenants. These are the types of rentals that should be supported, not large corporate developers. He said that the discriminatory removal of interest costs as a legitimate tax deduction has increased the cost of many rental properties and this will continue to increase as taxes rise over the next four years for the majority of rental properties. A few months ago, NZPIF published a plan to fix the rental crisis. The Federation also suggested introducing a security of tenure model based on the German system. This would provide long-term security for the majority of tenants, not just high-income tenants. So I actually think, and, and this is just my personal opinion, but I think that Megan Woods and the current government have completely missed the point with this one again. You know, they had an opportunity here to make things easier for the tenants that are most in need, which are the low-income tenants, and that would be by way of making it easier for private landlords to provide rental accommodation for those, those people. Unfortunately, this uh, tax break is just exactly how the NZPIF have said it's it's you know it's making things easier for the large corporates and easier for high income rental you know high income tenants so not the majority of New Zealanders so I suspect that exactly like Andrew King said they have folded due to corporate pressure. Second topic for this week, one roof on the 16th of August, migrants flock to open homes as tens of thousands of people are given residency. In the last two weeks, real estate agents across the country have noticed a significant increase in migrants who've recently been granted residency wanting to buy a house. And in the meantime, where are they going to live? In rental properties. Under the Fast Track 2021 Residency Visa Scheme, Immigration New Zealand has so far approved residency visas for 84,000 people. Under the rules, people who hold a residence visa and who are ordinarily a resident in New Zealand have been in New Zealand for at least 12 months and have spent at least 183 days of the past 12 months in New Zealand can purchase a house. Harcourt's Mount Roskill co-owner Nick Cocker also noticed an upswing in the number of migrants who recently got residency wanting to buy property. Within six days, he's received 20 inquiries, mainly on new houses. Another property attracted nine groups through an open home, and eight of them had just got residency in the last couple of weeks. Cocker said that among those looking were Asian families who moved to the country six or seven years ago. They're aware that they're paying a good amount of rent for four or three bedroom houses, so for them, it's better to buy. Cocker said they're mainly interested in new homes priced between 800000 and $1.1 million because they only need a 10% deposit for a new build and many migrants don't have KiwiSaver to tap into.
Since the end of July, Umbrella Group mortgage advisor Sarah Hardigan has also seen an increase in migrants with residency visas asking for advice on buying a home. She said it's a good strategy to seize current opportunities as the first-time buyer market's turned really quiet. It also made good financial sense to buy newer properties as new builds are less likely to incur unexpected costs. It's not just Auckland that's seen new residents shop around, as Rotorua, Hamilton and Waikato have also noticed more migrants buy houses. According to a One News report last month, the majority of the migrants who applied for the 2021 fast-track visas are from the Philippines, China, South Africa and India, and work in the construction, education, health and primary industry sectors, all areas that we desperately need more people into. Immigration New Zealand General Manager for Border and Visa Operations Nicola Hogg said there hasn't been a surge in application approvals since June and July 2022, but they've been steadily assessing and approving 2021 resident visa applications. While many migrants are finally able to get their foot on the property ladder, more people are still leaving New Zealand than those arriving. Stats New Zealand immigration data released last week revealed that for the 16th month in a row, more people are exiting New Zealand. In the year ending in June 30th, 2022, only 49,200 migrants arrived, but 60,700 people have left, which is massive. Last one out, turn the lights off. Real estate agents from North and South Auckland told One Roof last month that they were also noticing a large number of people selling their homes and moving to Australia. Why? Because a lot of people think it's more affordable over there and they can potentially earn more incomes. We need to make things more attractive for people to stay in New Zealand or come to New Zealand. and a robust housing market is one way of doing that. If you want to learn more about the property market and my thoughts on what's happening, feel free to join me live at one of our free Beginner's Guide to Property Investment events. We hold them online or in person in our office in Ellerslie in Auckland. Check out propertyapprentice.co.nz for upcoming dates and register today. Third topic for today in the New Zealand Herald on the 16th of August, housing market, most homeowners profit on sales despite the downturn. Most homeowners continue to make healthy profits when they sell their houses, despite the market for resales showing signs of weakness. CoreLogic's Pain and Gain survey indicated that 98.1% of properties resold in the three months ending June which is the quarter two, 2022, made a gross profit or gain on the previous purchase price. This is just a one-point decline from the March quarter. In dollar terms, the median resale gross profit fell to 370000 from 418000 The median gross loss rose slightly to 40000 CoreLogic New Zealand Chief Property Economist Calvin Davidson said that the results aren't surprising considering recent interest rate increases and the surge in new listings which have an effect on prices. Putting these figures into context, prices have risen strongly and homeowners who have held property for seven or eight years on average have locked in gains even as property values weaken over the short term. Davidson said that a turning point has arrived for owner-occupiers. They aren't going to get a cash windfall unless they're downsizing or moving to a cheaper location. The survey revealed that properties that sold for a profit were owned for a median of 7.6 years. On the other hand, loss-making resales were held for only a median of 1.3 years, 
which is unsurprising because the property market is a long-term investment, although some would argue that a home is not an investment, it's an emotional purchase. I would be one of those someones. But generally, people hold their homes for a lot longer, a lot longer period of time, on average seven to ten years. Davidson believes that it was unlikely that owners sold their properties because they were stressed given the strength of the labour market. It was more likely that they sold because of sudden changes to personal circumstances. Like, for example, they might have been relocating to Australia or they might have been relocating to another part of the country. The median gross profit for a house was 366000 while the median gross loss, which occurred in 1.5% of sales, was 25 grand. Apartments sold for less profit and had much higher instances of being sold for less, reflecting the volatility associated with that property class, especially during the last few years that we've been in lockdown with COVID and we've had a lot of things affecting the inner city market. Extra weakness is an emerging trend among the main centres such as Auckland, Wellington and Hamilton. David said that one Davidson sorry, said that one area of concern would be first-time buyers who purchased property toward the end of 2021 when prices were at the peak. So obviously if, if someone who purchased when prices were at the peak at the end of 2021, if they needed to sell in a hurry, they are likely to be one of those uh, small percentage of people that would be affected by the property downturn. He's forecasting a further weakening in resale performance to continue into 2023, given that house prices have been trending downwards. Unemployment still low and long-term growth is expected to return, which means forced sales will remain few and far between. Fourth topic, interest.co.nz on the 16th of August, Human Rights Commission calls for new rent freeze and an increase in the accommodation supplement to help those hit hardest by the cost of living shocks to rent and food. (sighs) The Human Rights Commission has called for a repeat of the temporary six-month rent freeze imposed during the first year of COVID-19 and an increase in the accommodation supplement to help those hit hardest by cost of living shocks to rent and food. So there's lots of different angles that you can look at this. Tenants obviously appreciate having a bit of extra help financially and certainly having a six-month rent freeze is appealing. Although you've got to remember that you can only increase rent in New Zealand once every 12 months now anyway for for one tenancy. So, you know, that would reduce that risk of, of rents increasing dramatically within a short time frame. The other thing is that a lot of people feel that any uh, any increase in the accommodation supplement is just lining landlords' pockets because that enables the tenants to pay a higher rent. So, yeah, from the landlord's perspective, we've had a lot of costs imposed on us from you know recent government changes, and our costs have increased, and that has reflected in increasing rents. And it's it shouldn't be a surprise to the government because all of the working groups that they put on, you know, to discuss the changes to the tax policies for rental properties, just about all of the people that they asked their opinion on said, don't do it because it'll increase rent. And they went ahead and did it anyway. So anyway, back to what the article talked about. Chief Human Rights Commissioner Paul Hunt said that too many New Zealanders are sacrificing the fundamental human rights to pay the rent. The commission is concerned that some low-income families and students are forced to make trade-offs between adequate food and the right to a decent home. You know, we should be encouraging landlords, for crying out loud, to 
buy rental properties in these low-income areas to help house the people that need help the most. As a solution, the body is suggesting that the government reinstates a temporary freeze on rent and immediately increase the accommodation supplement to aid low-income renters. The Commission said that the increase to the accommodation supplement should ensure that those on the lowest incomes paid no more than 30% of their after-tax income on housing. Almost half of renters spend at least 30% of their disposable income on rent in the year to the 30th of June 2020. The Commission also has an inquiry into housing as they see that the current rental system is not designed to cater to the increase in population of renters or the emergence of a permanent rental class. Human Rights Commission's Housing Inquiry Manager, V. Blackwood, is calling for the overhaul of the rental system and for the government to reevaluate what a fair rent system looks like in order to meet the human rights. The Green Party said it back to the Commission's call as it believed that spending more than 30% of a tenant's income on rent limits spending for other essentials like healthy food and heating. Housing Minister Megan Woods was not immediately available for comment, although the government has previously rejected calls for a new rent freeze. The government spends around $1.5 billion a year on the accommodation supplement and has spent $1 billion on temporary housing since its election in 2017. Like, I mean, if those figures don't tell you that the government can't provide enough rental properties that this country needs then you need to take a good hard look at yourself. The Salvation Army has also called for the supplement to increase as the current accommodation supplement is based on rental data from six years ago, which is certainly outdated. Although just quietly, market rent has increased a lot less than inflation has. You know, we do tend to find that rent increases are capped by affordability anyway, especially in the lower income areas. Fifth topic for today, from good returns on the 15th of August, falling home loan rates are likely to irk the Reserve Bank of New Zealand. Recent falls in the amount of money that people actually pay on their loans have proved irksome to the Reserve Bank, according to ANZ Chief Economist Sharon Zollner. This will encourage the Reserve Bank to further push up their official cash rate. On Wednesday last week, the OCR was hiked by 50 basis points, and this decision will be followed by further rises. Zona believes that people getting slightly cheaper loans at a time when Reserve Bank is pushing the other way is to blame. Making things worse is the fact that the rate cuts have been funded by liquidity in the United States and not local conditions. All the main banks have recently made the move to cut some interest rates, which is great news for those people that already have mortgages. Kiwi Bank announced cuts to standard and special fixed rates for three, four and five year mortgages. The big four banks have done similar moves. Zona thinks that the Reserve Bank is not happy that the market's pricing in cuts next year, nor that the mortgage rates are going down. All this is a spillover from the US market after the Federal Reserve decided on softening base rate hikes. Westpac senior economist Satish Ranchod does not go quite as far as Zona, but still sees a problem for the RBNZ. Many mortgage rates are priced off developments abroad. Meanwhile, here in New Zealand, the Reserve Bank is continuing to hike the cash rate. He anticipates that the Reserve Bank in New Zealand will need to keep the balance between overseas pressures and domestic inflation pressures. Meanwhile, Zollner is forecasting a new OCR high at 4.5% before it levels off. 
She says this is an analysis based off of Wednesday's OCR announcement. The Reserve Bank has predicted a 4% OCR as the end point in May, but since then there have been increases in domestic inflation, core inflation and wages. As a result, she argues that the Reserve Bank's own endpoint might see another 50-point rise from its initial forecast. My personal opinion on this, and time will tell, I mean, this is all crystal ball gazing, isn't it? My personal opinion is that I think the Reserve Bank would be more likely to increase with the next announcement by 0.5% and see how that affects things rather than have a higher end point in mind. I think they'd rather kill this inflation as quickly as they possibly can rather than run the risk of of people getting into real financial stress with their mortgages. So make sure that if you need help with your mortgage, you know, managing your mortgages, get in touch with a good mortgage advisor. We recommend the team at my team, which is MI Team for Mortgages and Insurance. You can get in touch with them via the website miteam.co.nz or call 0800 88 Okay, so thank you for joining me today for Property Apprentices Week in Review. I look forward to talking to you again same time next week. Thanks for listening.